You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Psalm 27. That is our text this morning. It is a privilege to be able to preach uh, to you. As always, um, my name is Pastor Jeff Kelly. I'm pastor for Assimilation Student Ministry here at Grace Community Church and um, serving the Lord uh, with great joy as we begin our fall semester for the student ministry. We're looking forward to the meeting tonight and then kicking that off. Um, Before I begin, uh, there are two very special people in this auditorium this morning. One is my dad, um, and the other is a longtime friend of our families, Pastor Jim Johnson. Uh, who pastors down the Somerville area right outside of Charleston. Um, both uh, mean so much to me. Um, my dad raised me, and Jim Johnson babysat me with his wife and uh, grew up with his kids. So I apologize for anything I ever did bad <laughs> to you. All right. We praise God for the, the joy that we have um, just to celebrate life with those that we love. And so this weekend has been a a very special weekend. George Bernard, Bernard Shaw, the Irish playwright, is quoted as saying, there are two tragedies in life. One is to lose your heart's desire. The other is to gain it. I guess what he's saying is, be careful what you wish for. What is your heart's desire this morning? It's a tragedy to have something you dearly desire taken from you. It's also a tragedy if you get something you desire only to realize that you didn't really want it to begin with. So be careful what you desire. And be careful what you set your heart's desire on. A couple years ago, my wife and I had a discussion about getting a dog for the kids. Kids and I wanted a dog. My wife, in no uncertain terms, did not want a dog. So my kids and I began the plan of breaking her down. It took months, but we were steady. We were methodical. And finally, she relented. She agreed to get a dog. And of course, it wasn't going to be just any dog for me. I wanted a big dog, a manly dog, a dog that was a hunting dog. I don't know why I don't hunt dog with an an amazing amount of energy. Again, this dog shared everything that was not right for our family. And in spite of that, in spite of listening to my wife, we went ahead and we bought a Weimaraner. If you know anything about a Weimaraner, they have more energy than a pack of greyhounds. They are incredibly energetic. They are big. We realize they are smelly. They are ornery. They are not Great dogs to have when you have small kids. It was often I would come home and I would see my wife crying because of something stupid the dog had done. We realized very quickly that our desire for the dog was only second to our desire to get rid of the dog. (laughs) What we desire can bring peace or bring us trouble. The only way to have peace is to make sure that you set your heart's desire on something or someone who is sure and eternal. In Psalm 27, David knew this secret. Look at verse 4. 
He knew the secret that joy is obtainable when our heart's desire is on someone who is sure and eternal. Verse 4 says this, One thing I have asked, that's the ESV word, it could be translated, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He wanted to be with the Lord, to dwell with him. He wanted to see the Lord and his beauty, to behold him. He also wanted to inquire or speak with the Lord. How? All the days of his life. This is extraordinary when you think of it because I would dare say many of us Christians, and I doubt many of us here listening to this message this morning, would give much thought to this kind of desire. When Solomon was asked, this is David's son, when Solomon was asked, what do you want? Solomon asked for wisdom. But not so with his dad. David wanted something on a much higher plane. He wanted to be immersed in the Lord. You see, for us, we want safety. We want independence. We want friendships. We want experiences. We want a powerful job. We want influence in life. Things the world said, say we should desire. But do we desire the best thing? John Piper, in his book, A Hunger for God, says this, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied, it is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. Folks, we are stuffed with so many small things, leaving so little room for what is great. When we're stuffed with small things and not the real thing, then we become bloated, uncomfortable. We have heartburn. We grow apathetic toward things spiritually, which can lead to fear. It can lead to anxiety. It can lead to depression. What was the setting in which David was writing these words here? Well, if you were to look at Psalm 27 and very quickly you would know and you would pick up on something. David was in peril. David was on the run. David was in the wilderness. Saul was chasing him down. Saul was hunting him. Look at verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. David was on the run. He had wicked enemies who wanted to destroy him. Eat up his flesh, the Bible says. And they had driven him far from home. And what was his one desire? What did he want? He wanted to be back in the place of worship. That's what he says in verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He wanted to get back to that place where he could be with the Lord. You see, in the Old Testament, it was different than what we do now. In the Old Testament, 
uh, worship was in a particular place. Worship was at the tabernacle for David. David attached a spiritual meaning and a spiritual thing to the physical. So being in that place where the sacrifices were taking place, that was where God prescribed for them to worship. Jesus in John 4, he tells the woman at the well, he says, listen, he says, there's coming a day, and now is, where you shall not worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but you shall worship God in spirit and truth. He, he set a new direction for our worship, and so we don't attach to physical things, the spiritual things, as the ancients would have. But David was driven far from this. He's living in a cave. He's with his men, and he, want, he wants and he longs to be back in that place where he can worship God. This was David's singular desire. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The verse tells us that our desires originate with God, and he will give us those desires as we take delight in him. See, in verse 4, David desired the right thing. He had the right desires. How did he have that desire? Well, because God gave it to him. Well, because also he delighted in the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Do you delight in the Lord? What does that mean? If you were to write out on a piece of paper, what does it mean to, to delight in the Lord? What would you put down? Would you have something to write? Would you know what that meant? You might have some vague idea of what it means to delight yourself in the Lord, but would you know specifically? See, that's what David answers here in Psalm 27. How are you going to delight in the Lord? And see, the blessing is when you delight yourself in the Lord, you will have right desires. And when you have right desires, verse 14 says, it'll strengthen your heart. You will be confident in the Lord. So I have four disciplines, if you will, four ways in which David delighted in the Lord. And I want you to take note of these. If you have a pen and paper, those of you at home, grab a pen and paper. All right, those here, if you don't have one, just listen and you can look. Four ways. Remember the works of the Lord. Trust in the Lord's protection. Seek the Lord through prayer. Wait on the Lord with expectation. Those are four ways, four disciplines in which we can delight in the Lord. So let's take a closer look here this morning at these uh, four ways real quickly. Remember the works of the Lord. Notice verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Light is always referred to as something good in the Bible. The Bible begins with these words of God, let there be light. Psalm 119 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Psalm 36, 9 says this, in your light we see light. When speaking of the prophecy of the Messiah that was to come, Isaiah 9 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. John 1, 4, speaking of Jesus, in him was life and life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. 
1 John 1, 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says this, God lives in unapproachable light. And the end of Revelation says, Jesus is the bright morning star. When we wander in darkness, it helps to shine light so that we can see the next step. This is what David was saying. Lord, you are the one who reveals my path and that path leads to salvation. And you are the strength of my life. Solomon had a thousand desires that he wanted to fulfill. And he says this. He says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. See, David knew that if you set your heart on the right desire or the right person, your whole life changes. And this is the first way David delights in the Lord, by rehearsing in the works of the Lord. Let me tell you something. Take a moment. If your heart is weary and well-doing, take a moment to write down the works of the Lord for you. What has God done for you? How has he saved you? How is he saving you from your sin today? The second way David delights in the Lord is by trusting in the Lord's protection. Notice this in verses 5 and 6. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above mine enemies all around. Notice what he says here. He will hide me in his tent. Or the word pavilion. The royal pavilion was a place in the center of the army with the best guard standing watch all around. David knew that with the Lord came protection. Set me on a rock, impenetrable, solid strength. That's what's depicted here. He will lift my head up above my enemies, honor and power. How could David be so sure that God was going to do this? Well, it wasn't blind hope, or it wasn't a name it and claim it kind of theology. I'll illustrate it this way. Michael Jordan was probably, arguably, the best basketball player that ever lived for many reasons. He had a confidence in himself that was palpable. You could feel it. Others around him were strengthened by his presence on the court. He made everyone play better because of his self-assuredness. Quite frankly, Jordan's teammates were afraid not to play their best around him. Even more so with God. How self-assured is God? And even more so, those who know him and his self-assuredness play better. You see, David knew, if I want to get some of that, I need to be with the Lord. David wasn't confident in his own strength, but he knew the Lord and it led him to confidence. So that he could say, he will hide me, he will set me up, he will lift me up. Think about this, how much did David trust God when he went up against Goliath? You can trust God this way. Psalm 62a says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, what? He hears us. Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots 
and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Isaiah 26, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Psalm 32.10, steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Psalm 112, verse 7, the righteous are not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Can we trust in the Lord this way? Yes. Yes. Many basketball players wanted to be around Jordan because it made them better players. When David says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, it's because there's benefit for him in that. It makes him joyful. Look at the latter part of 6, verse 6. He says, and sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. He says, I will offer those sacrifices with what? With shouts of joy. Isn't that what we're all after anyways? Joy. See, there's a thousand little pursuits out there that you can go after, but David knew the secret. It doesn't rest in a dog. It doesn't rest in a new house. It doesn't rest in a new wife. It doesn't rest in a new place to live. It's, it's the Lord. See, David delighted in God by remembering the works of the Lord. Then he trusted in the Lord's protection. And thirdly, he sought after the Lord. This is the third way in which he delighted in the Lord. Look at verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. How did David seek in the Lord? Well, in verse 6, he turns from praise. That's verse 6 to verse 7. This is how he seeks the Lord. This is how you and I will seek the Lord. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud and be gracious to me and answer me. How do we seek the Lord? Through prayer. You see, David wasn't blinded to the dangers of his condition. David wasn't overconfident in himself. David would never say, I'm fine, I'm good, as the saying goes, right? No, truly godly people walk in the light, which means they clearly see the situation around them, and they don't glibly say, God's got this, without also spending time in prayer crying out for mercy. Look at verses 7 through 10. This is David's prayer. Hear, O Lord, when I cry, be gracious to me and answer me. The, the, the King James says, be merciful unto me. Those two words are synonymous. They have a little bit different meaning. But he's asking for grace. He's asking for mercy. You see, he understands his condition as a human. Look at verse 9. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. You see how his confidence in God is coupled with his contrite spirit. He's not confident and cocky. He understands his condition. That God, if he got what he deserved, he would be forsaken by God. Friends, if we really understood what we deserve, we would know that we deserve to be forsaken by God. 
True piety presupposes private devotion, without which you're just a religious windbag kind of spouting out spiritual cliches, right? Somebody who says, oh, God's got this, but there's no time and effort and devotion to God, crying out to God. Peace comes through prayer, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It doesn't come through great cliches. It's good to rehearse truths about God, but it's also good to go to God and seek after him in prayer and cry out for mercy, cry out for grace. Lord, woe is me. I am a man undone. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's all of us. It was David. He comes to this conclusion, verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. There's no occasion which we know of David's parents forsaking him or leaving him, but David knows this, that the Lord will take him in. When everybody, even your closest relationships, turn their back on you, you know that God will take you in. Because of his grace, because of his mercy. So remember the works of the Lord. Trust in the Lord's protection. Seek after the Lord in prayer. That's how David delighted in the Lord. But lastly, he delights by waiting on the Lord with great expectation. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12, then 13 and 14. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of mine enemies. Give me not up to the will of mine adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. He was surrounded by evildoers who wanted to eat up his flesh. And so this was his hope. This was his hope. He says, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back there. One day I'm going to get back to the tabernacle. One day I'm going to get back to the place where they worship God. One day I'm going to be surrounded by those who come to worship God. Folks, are you getting this? There are a thousand little desires that we can desire throughout the week. There are a thousand things that we can set our heart on. But they mean Nothing. David understood the one thing that meant anything. That it was the desire to be immersed in the Lord. Notice what he says in verse 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There are two things about this verse One is a warning, one is a reward. Spurgeon says this about prayer. He says, we may expect answers to prayer. It should not be easy without them any more than we should be if we had written a letter to a friend upon important business and had received no reply. Is this the way we pray? Is this the way you pray? 
You see, the point I'm trying to make here is that we are, and David is saying, wait for the Lord. The Hebrew word wait is that word that carries with it the meaning of expectation. And so this is the warning. The things David is praying for and the things which we pray do not always come to us at once. God has his timings, which are not ours. And therefore, we pray for and need, uh, and for what we pray for and need is sometimes and oftentimes delayed. What then? Are we to despair, give up hope, lose confidence? Not at all. We simply need to wait. When I read things like this in the Bible, I used to think that waiting meant just ask the Lord, leave it with him, go on about your day. God's got this. It's not what it means. It's not what it means. He's saying, wait with confident expectation. Why? Because there is an answer coming. This is the reward. If some wealthy person promises to give you an expensive gift, wouldn't you wait for them expectantly? If you were in trouble and a king were coming to your aid, wouldn't you also wait for his appearance? God is such a generous benefactor and powerful king. He will be worth waiting for. It's a privilege to wait for the Lord. And the waiting is the expectation of joy. And I think this was what makes Christmas so great. It's not necessarily the giving and receiving of gifts by themselves. It's the anticipation of giving and receiving gifts, right? I can't wait to give this gift to someone. They're going to love it, right? That's what we say. And days go by and that anticipation grows. I can't wait. As a kid, I can't wait because I asked my parents for this thing and I know I'm going to get it. I can't wait. There's joy in that. Waking up every morning saying, what did I pray for yesterday? How, well, how's God going to answer that? Listen, you might be in a place in your life where you're expecting God to answer. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're looking for um, uh, a new relationship. Maybe you're uh, um, uh, dealing with something at home. Maybe you have a big expense coming up. Whatever it is, you're praying, but you're waking up every day saying, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this. David was sitting in a cave with his 600 men, and he's saying, I can't wait to the day I get back to the place where I can worship God. So this is the reward. Psalm 130, verses 5 through 6 says this, I will wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. You see, he was comparing waiting expectantly on the Lord to the night guards of the city who watched the passage of time in anticipation of the coming dawn when they would be released from duty and again, once again, safe. Folks, our culture has little love for waiting. We want things now. We want instant gratification. Technology gives us that, right? We want things fast, and if they don't come fast enough, we reject them. How fast is your internet, right? What's your download speeds? But with God, we must learn to wait. James Montgomery Boyce asked this question, or makes this accusation, yet how little true waiting must most of us really do. Could this 
be the hindrance to your prayer life that you just don't want to wait. <laughs> Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, Yea, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So in closing here, what have we learned? What have we learned about David? Well, we learned this, number one, that if you want right desires, let's put it this way. You should want right desires. Why? You should want right desires because it renews your strength. So that's you stop right there. I want right desires. Why? Because I know that my heart needs to be strengthened. So if your heart is not strengthened, if you're growing weary and well-doing, then you need this, right? You need to say, okay, I want right desires because I know that's what God's going to do. He's going to strengthen me through that. What is that right desire? Well, verse 4 says what? To be immersed in the Lord. I want to be with the Lord. I want to see the Lord. I want to speak with the Lord. I want to do those things. Not obligatory. I want to do those things. Now, if you're not there, right, how the things are clouding that out, we need to get there. How do we get right desires? Well, God gives you those desires. How? By delighting in him. How do we delight in the Lord? Well, four ways. Remember the works of the Lord. Trust in the Lord's protection. Seek the Lord through prayer. Wait on the Lord with expectation. We could expound on that more. We could do more with it. Of course, time doesn't allow us to do that. But you have a lot of time at home today. You could do that. Of course, we know that when David delighted in the Lord, not only did he get get the desire of his heart, but his heart was strengthened. Verse 4 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. And because of this, he says, I will not faint. In the King James, it says, I believe that I, if I had not believed that I would be in the land of the living and see the goodness of the Lord, I would have fainted. But David did not faint because he desired the Lord. I'll close with this story and make a few closing remarks. Back in the 1930s, there was a very, very wealthy man who loved to collect art. He had a son that he loved very much, and the two of them loved collecting art together. They would search the world for priceless paintings, Rembrandt, Monet, etc. As the sun grew, war began to surface, and it wasn't long before his son had to ship off to fight. Of course, they would write to each other, and almost always in every letter to each other, there would be something about a rare painting or something that they would want to go after when he got back home. It was a beautiful relationship the two of them had and a wonderful hobby. But on one fateful December day, while the father was sitting in his lounge, he heard a knock at the door, And there through the door, he could see what looked like to be a soldier, and his heart leaped because he thought it was his son. As he opened the door, he realized it wasn't his son. It was another soldier. 
The soldier, looking sad with a tear in his eye, said, I just want to let you know, sir, your son died in battle. He was trying to save five of his crew members who were caught in a fire on a ship, and in doing so, he saved them, but in doing so, he lost his life. As you can imagine, the father's grief was immense. He was crushed. He was distraught, completely in sorrow. He invited the soldier in. As the soldier sat and talked about his son, the soldier had a package in his hand. He said, listen, this, is, this was among your son's belongings. Here, take this. This is a gift from me to you. The father opened the package, and there was a painting from his son that he had done. It wasn't a masterpiece, but it was beautiful, and it was his son's. And it was more priceless than all the Monets and the Rembrandts that he had collected. Well, as you can imagine, the father's grief grew, and over the months, he began to wane in his desire to collect paintings. And so he decided, I'm going to auction it all off. And of course, he let people know, and the art world was abuzz. And they flocked to this man's house and they wanted to buy the Monet's. They wanted to buy the priceless paintings. Of course, as the bidding began, above the mantles sat the man's son's painting. And, and the auctioneer said, we're going to begin the auction in, in just a few moments. But first, we're going we're to auction off this one painting above the mantle. And we're going to start the bidding at $1,000. Well, people sat there in amazement saying, why are we doing this? This piece of art is not worth anything. We're here to see millions of dollars worth of art, and you're going to auction this painting off. As the auctioneer began, we're going to start the bidding at $1,000. The room was completely silent. Nobody wanted to bid. Just a few minutes, somebody said from the back of the room, let's get on to the real paintings. I was still silent. The auctioneer said, no, we have to keep going with this one. Do I hear $1,000? We have to go with $1,000. Time continued to tick. Silence. Silence. Then through the back door walked a man. He saw what they were doing. He looked at the painting. He heard the auctioneer say, who will take it for $1,000? And the man said, sir, I'll take it. I'll give you $1,500. That's all I have. The soldiers, the man who came in through the back door was the soldier who had come in and told his dad about his son. And he knew that it was the man's son's painting. And it meant something to him. Well, now the art aficionados were ready to move on to the next paintings. And, and the auctioneer hits the gavel, of course, and he says, well, the painting belongs to this man. And because of that, we're going to stop the auction. Of course, the father stands up and he says, you know what? He goes, I know you're disappointed. He goes, but I wanted to auction my son's painting off. And he goes, I was determined in my heart that he who takes the son will take it all. So he looks at the soldier in the back of the room and he says, because you took my son's painting, I'm going to give you everything. Folks, David knew the secret, that he who takes the son takes it all. 
We've got to be careful what we set our heart's desire on. But I'm going to tell you this. If you set your affection on the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And what a life that would be, right? No longer desiring after sin. No longer desiring after futile attempts to do anything. The Son makes every desire right. May God bless his word this morning. Father, Lord, we are reminded this morning of your great pleasure to give us the desires of our heart. And Lord, though you ask of us to delight ourselves in you, Lord, that delighting comes through grace. Lord, that we could even respond to you is from you. Lord, you give us the ability to seek after you. And Lord, as we, as we do that, Lord, as we are conformed to the image of Christ and you are conforming our desires, Lord, we are growing more desirous of you, Lord. I pray that's the case. And I pray, Lord, this morning that as we delight ourselves in you, you would give us those desires, Lord, of our heart, the ones that you want us to have. Help us to make that our one affection, our one attempt. Even this morning, Lord, there are some probably listening this morning who, Lord, are growing weary and well-doing. Their hearts are troubled. Maybe they've set their affection on something that, Lord, is fleeting, maybe something that's not according to your will. And they're troubled in spirit, Lord. There's one way to have confidence. And that's to desire to be immersed in the Lord. May we do that, Lord. May we be good at delighting ourselves in you. We praise you for all of these things, of course, in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.